Welcome to Senior Straight Talk with Phyllis Heyman, a collaborative podcast with Pass It On Network. This program is brought to you by all of Community Services. Seniors deserve to have a fulfilling life with dignity and respect, but as we transition into our elderhood years, this doesn't always happen. Join us today as we discuss some of the most important issues that seniors face and provide much-needed answers to your questions. Now, here is Phyllis Amon. Welcome to Seniors Straight Talk, pre- presenting informative conversations for the senior years of our lives. I'm Phyllis Amon, your host, and the show, which began almost two years ago, was formerly known as Voices for Elder Care Advocacy. The library of all of the episodes can be found on the Voice America Empowerment Channel under the name Seniors Straight Talk and can be downloaded on popular podcast platforms. The show is now also syndicated on the Voice America Influencers Channel, so please remember to like, click, and share the episodes. And for those listeners who are, are, I say, in SOS mode, a little bit of a tongue twister this morning, stress, overwhelmed, and stressed, Watch out for my upcoming free Caregiver Distress Recovery Challenge, helping caregivers find a path to bringing much-needed self-care into their daily routine. It features empathy, my registered trademark, which is also the basis of a self-care commitment letter, and teaches strategies from my proprietary framework for self-care, self-kindness, self-compassion, and self-forgiveness that will help you feel recharged and re-energized as you face life's challenges. And this morning, I think I need to be re-energized a little bit because I'm stumbling here and there. Anyway, family members considering taking on the role of caregiver or those just beginning the caregiver journey can find valuable information in my course, A Caregiving Guide for Caregivers, The Basics. And my latest book, Dignity and Respect, Are Our Aging Parents Getting What They Deserve is available on Amazon in both paperback and ebook formats. The book addresses critical information about how we care for and treat our elder citizens in our families, our communities, in nursing homes, and assisted living residences. And I'm always honored to say that Dr. Bill Thomas wrote the foreword for the book. So I hope you'll purchase a copy and encourage your friends and colleagues to do the same. Seniors Straight Talk is always proud of the collaborative partnership with the Pass It On Network, a global peer learning network for positive aging advocates and a member of the United Nations Open-Ended Working Group on Aging. Seniors Straight Talk and the Pass It On Network continue bringing informative conversations for the senior years of our lives. And I'm also thrilled that Olive Community Services, a nonprofit organization in Fullerton, California, is a Seniors Straight Talk sponsor. And before we begin, I always have to thank Peter DeGear of DeGear Therapy Services, who is a colleague, a trusted friend, and consultant specializing in rehabilitation therapy services in nursing homes. And now for today's guest, I'm so thrilled to have Gordon Anderson from the other side of the Atlantic. Gordon Anderson has enjoyed an eclectic career, now entering its fifth decade. Despite early years in the UK farming industry, it was working with a major record label in the the late 1980s and into the 1990s that set the pattern for a career in disruptive innovation. He helped the BBC enter the digital era with children's CD-ROMs and gamifying their major brands, 
then spent a decade in consumer startups across comedy, music, mobile apps, smart home, and poker. His current focus of music in healthcare, he says, is the natural culmination of this almost random career journey, as well as eclectic connections and disruptive thinking, combined with a powerful desire to improve people's lives through simple universal ideas, particularly to benefit those less fortunate. His latest endeavor, which we are going to talk about today, is Memory Tracks, which is the first product from the new venture, an app that supports dementia caregivers, decreases agitation, builds connections, and improves care quality. So thank you, Gordon, for um, agreeing to be here with me today on Senior Straight Talk. I know before we started, we really enjoyed a wonderful conversation about... um, views on the other side of the Atlantic and <laughs> and the views here. So, uh, but now we're going to direct our conversation to Memory Tracks, which is a wonderful app. I had the opportunity to really look into it and understand it, but I want you to tell our listeners about the reason behind it, how you came to it and, uh, you know, things. Thank you, Phyllis. Thank you for a wonderful introduction, please. That was that was terrific, um, and thank you to to and welcome to, to all your listeners here. Yeah, I, I, memory tracks. Um, where did it come from? Well, it, it, as, you, as as you heard, I had this early start in the in the music business, so music's always been a big part of my life and part of my work life balance, if you like, as well. What what I could never understand um, as I got older. Uh, why music was almost absent from healthcare in general. It's just not really, it's, it's there in its moments, but it's not part, it's not, it's not inbuilt into the healthcare um, journey that we all go on, particularly as we get older. So memory tracks really came from that. And also from my daughter, who's a musician, a composer. And she was calling me regularly working in, she was working in Liverpool where she was studying. And she was working with asylum seekers. So people who'd, come to the UK um, from war-torn places, places where they were feeling under threat from oppression. And so there were frightened people and people who didn't share the same cultural or background. And she used music to break down all those barriers. And it was an extraordinary story she told me regularly about the impact it was having on these people and how it was making them more relaxed, uh, connecting them more and making them feel more welcome in the UK. So I said to her, well, why don't we do that across healthcare? Why can't we find a way of, of, of introducing a, a platform, a service that means that clinicians, doctors, care, care workers have something to put their hand on, to grab and use in music terms when they have, when they have something they can support people with. And so we, we, we joined forces in a way and created the first prototype of, of what we now call memory tracks, which was really a way of... Well, we call it song task association. It was associating a song that meant something to somebody with a task that had to be carried out within their care practice. Hmm. And in doing so, um, allowing the music in a way to, to mask the care practice, to, to make it easier, to make it softer, to make it more understandable, more acceptable. And I think this works for everybody potentially, even for somebody getting a vaccine or, or you know, currently if somebody's a bit afraid of getting a vaccine, playing a favorite song probably will make that easier for them. But when it comes to dementia care, um, you know, I, I, I had at the time, this they've, they've passed now, but my aunt and uncle were both living with dementia. 
Um, and my uncle had been a, a local doctor. So, you know, he, he kind of probably understood in the early stages what he was going through or what he was entering. Mm. But they had um, uh, uh, a con- this, this deterioration of their condition over a number of years was, was difficult to, to see. But I think what was the most difficult to experience was, was not for my aunt, but for my uncle, the agitation he felt, mm. the, the, the almost anger at times that he felt about his situation. Um, and we knew music soothed him, but, and, and it was used by some of the staff at times. But I think what we were looking for is, well, how can we create something that all staff can use? Right. That anybody, even if you don't know the person that's sitting in front of you, um, if you don't know their history, you don't know their background, but you can, you can find music immediately and use it that is music that they will recognize and will in, they will engage with. And so that was the, that's the platform we built. So um, we'll never perfect it. We don't, we'll never claim we perfect it, but we just want to make it as simple and easy as possible for caregivers to find a solution, a music solution for a difficult situation that's in front of them. So as uh, the listeners probably know, uh, I've worked in over 50 nursing homes in the United States, uh, mostly in the, air, in the East Coast, um, in my New York and the surrounding area, I'll say. And um, at, just as you say, and anybody who has experience with anyone in a nursing home or works in a nursing home, they, you know, they play music every once in a while, or they'll have somebody come in and play music at a party. Or sometimes they'll put music on when people are eating. Sometimes it's not the music that would probably be music they could relate to, possibly, mm-hmm. but not all of the people can relate to. Um, so, but I love this idea of having music associated with tasks because as we know that people, especially with dementia, um, as it advances, do become agitated around certain activities, whether it's you know, care activities being bathed or toileted or, and sometimes eating. Uh, so, so I love this idea. So I just have a question. I, I know you're probably familiar with Dan Cohen and his, um, mm, I know Dan, yes. you know, he's a great guy. We, I, you know, mm. we've become friends over the years and, um, and, you know, his personal playlists. Um, so how does this um, complement that? Or can you, incorporate personal music into this for a person how would that work or be coordinated a really good a really good question and and, and it, it is they are slightly different pro- propositions um and i think what you mentioned there is that in the homes that you've worked in and gone into that there are there's music playing and often it's background music and it's music in a lounge in a in a, in a, in a dining hall and that's very useful. It's very nice. But, but, but also, it's often not the right kind of music. And I'll come back to that in a second from my own experiences. But I think what we're looking at with memory tracks uh, is different to what a product like Dan's is looking at. Dan is looking, as you say, for playlists. It, it is more about that relaxation music. It's, it's more about the, the music that we all listen to on our devices or whatever, that we just, just there are tunes or our favorite songs or songs that mean something to us. What memory tracks is about is about the, and you mentioned it, the time when agitation is its most likely. And agitation happens normally when you're as simple as something combing somebody's hair or, or, or washing their face or taking them to the toilet or, or, or hoisting or say, moving them from one bed to another or changing them, you know, changing them from one position in the bed to another position in the bed. These are the times when there is the greatest 
chance of agitation and anxiety because it's frightening. It's, right. It must be extremely frightening when they're happening. And that's the time when people don't often use, well, they're not in the dining hall, they're not in the lounge. Right. And I think in their, in, in their room, I, I do think that, that a, a playlist could help. But I think what we're talking about often is uh, a member of staff who may not know that person that well. Um, they may not know the songs they should play. And what we've selected in memory tracks is the, is the best known songs from when somebody was very young. Mm -hmm. So it's the hits from when they were between the ages of three and 12 years old. And these are the ones that they're not, they may not be their favorite songs, but they're deep into their memory. So what we do is we get an engagement, a very rapid engagement. And that rapid engagement shifts their mindset from what's happening to them right now to a much more aware and more uh, open-minded mindset. And it means that staff can often communicate with them more easily. So it's a way of reaching them very quickly through a very recognizable song. Um, and so I, think, I, think, I don't think they're that different, but we are focusing on those moments, not the lounge. So, so you asked, can, can people augment it with their favorite songs? Well, they can change it to the, any of the songs in our database, but it is not exhaustive. Oh, okay. Um, it's, it's 360 songs in the database, um, plus 60 sing-along songs, but they, they couldn't choose, they wouldn't be able to choose a very um, unusual song because we probably oh, won't have it. My question is, and, and this is in the early stages, correct? <laughs> yeah, correct, yes. So do you think as, as it advances in stages that there will be a greater library of songs? I, I do, I do, because... Um, although we're not sort of, we won't be sort of touching on it too much here. We're, we're, we're about to develop a second product for mental health, which is called Life Tracks, and that actually has a universal catalogue. So it's it has a much broader catalogue. But I think that one of the things it's interesting you say that for this because one of the one of the reasons that, that we we made Memory Tracks the way we did was in fact to limit the catalogue. And that sounds like an odd thing to say, but but actually one of the problems at point of care is if you've got too much choice, you make no choice. True. And, and I think that what we wanted to do was to, to help that caregiver who may not be in the UK, they may not be British, they may be from Eastern Europe or from, the, from Asia, and it's probably the same in the US as well. They could be from anywhere in the world. They don't know, they don't have the same cultural background. So we need to guide them very, very clearly to what they should play that person who's sitting in front of them. So you just touched on something which was going to be my next question, which was what about people from other parts of the world? Because one of the issues that I think is not being addressed in this country, and I would imagine similarly in, in where you are in the UK and many countries around the world now, but um, so there are so many people here who have come from other countries, um, many of whom don't speak English, or speak limited English. But even if they did speak English, uh, it's possible as the dementia advances or you know, their condition changes, they kind of revert back to uh, the language of their origin. And then you have caregivers <clears throat> that are also from different countries and from different cultures with different accents and different styles of presentation and mm. there are cultural mismatches, you know, there are different <clears throat> 
I was talking with somebody by Zoom the other day and I, I made a facial expression and he's from another country, another continent, really. He said, we don't do that here. I said, okay, <laughs> all right, I get, I get that. All right. I love that. I love that, yeah. Here, it's not a big deal. He said, it's not, a, it's not acceptable here. I said, okay, great. That's how we, you know, we have a nice relationship. We've, we've been talking to each other for months, but, um, you know, suppose that wasn't the case, right? There opportunity for insults or reactions mm. that you might not expect or want. So what about people who are from other countries? Um, what about, because the, the music from the child, from people's childhood, let's say in the UK or here, you know, generic would not be the same as somebody, here, let's say who, you know, is from mm. Italy and doesn't speak English or Greece Correct. or whatever country in the world. It's interesting you mentioned Greece, actually, because the, 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 answer, the, the answer to that is that you're absolutely spot on, and it's a really good point. And when, we, um, when, we, when I first formulated the, 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 uh, the, the app, the plan for the app, when we started building it, there were two questions that we asked. And one was, what year was that person born who, who you're caring for? And the second question was, where did they grow up for the first 12 years of their life? And, of course, to answer that second question, we can always ask that second question, but in order to respond to it, we need to have all those catalogues of music in place. And one of my goals is to have um, an exhaustive list of, because if we're saying that we need 360 songs for each um, region, it's not, you know, we can do that. So if, for, for, for Southeast Asia, we can have 360 songs for Nigeria, 360 songs for Poland, for the Ukraine, for, yeah. and uh, for Mexico, or whatever it might be, for Puerto Rico, or whatever, we can have those songs in there and pull, just pull the right songs into the database. And you mentioned Greece, and, and we're uh, next year, I hope, working with the university in Greece to, to start that, um, being supported by the European Union, actually, uh, to do that with uh, a Greek audience. So we will have that songs from 1927 through to 1963 for Greek people of any age. Oh, that's that, that would be wonderful. But, but, I, but I want that to be the start and then maybe work with the universities in each country that we can find who want to work with us because we, we can't really afford to do it. So we need to get some kind of support from a university in each charity to do that and then to port that into our... Into our uh, what, um, have you... Um, <clears throat> you know, obviously, this is something as a person who's a speech and language pathologist and works with people in mm. communication and has seen so many different situations. Um, you know, I've written about them. I talk about them. Of course, other people are aware of them. Um, what about, you know, getting grants in um, different countries to pursue, to pursue this for different cultures that yeah, are prominent in that country? Definitely. I, I think that's, that's certainly the way that we would wish to do it. I think it's about, um, it, it, as you know, when you're, when you're building something like this, it's, it's having to, to, to measure your ambition all the time and right. making sure you don't overstretch. I mean, we, 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 we've, you know, we've, we've got this going in the UK and trying to work with as many care groups here. I'm really, I'd be really interested to find uh, a partner care group in the US that we can evolve with and grow with and, and, and find ways of improving it. Um, and the uh, same probably uh, goes. I'm working in Canada already with a, with a wonderful group up there. So it's about finding like-minded partners who want to find innovative ways of 
of helping those at the point of care and helping caregivers and working with them, maybe working with a local university as well, if, if necessary, working uh, with uh, music therapists, whoever it might be, musicians even. How can we best um, use this platform and evolve this platform to serve that community as, as well as we can and learn how we can then take what we've learned then into, you know, into Asia, into Africa, into South America um, and adapt adapt it to those communities. Um, I just do, I think that music is deserves to be much more used across healthcare. It has such a power, such a power, and 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 it's not as expensive or damaging as drugs or anything like that. So, so hopefully it means that that kind of benefits of care can be open to a greater number of people. Absolutely. Now, and before we go to break. You know, obviously, everybody is different. There is, I remember knowing somebody many years ago who told me she didn't like music. I found that kind of like very strange. But OK, yeah, and there are some people who maybe it doesn't resonate with them for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, but on a personal level, um, so I my first dream was to be a concert pianist. And I studied classical piano for 12 and a half years. Wow. So I always say that music is like food to my soul. Um, and so I'm just saying on a personal level, and even as, as, um, you know, when I talk about empathy or self-care there, I tell people if, even if you, if you're very stressed out, even if you're in the work day, no matter where you are, if you could take two minutes or three minutes, you know, even if you duck inside a, a bathroom, not necessarily to have to use the facilities and just put on a favorite song or something that soothes you or sounds that soothes you, you will find yourself re-energized. And um, so I, you know, I know myself how I could be someplace, even in a nursing home as stressed out as I am, if I'm working in that capacity and I hear some music playing that resonates with me and all of a sudden it puts me in a different state of mind. It puts a different spring in my step. It, it makes me feel differently inside. So mm. This to me is just fantastic, whether it's personal playlists or memory tracks. I mean, yeah, I yeah. agree with you. It has a real place and it is underutilized. So instead of reaching for the prescription pad, how about if we reach for something, any other possible solution, and that being the last one? Correct. Yeah, definitely. It is about that mix of solutions. And it's not saying that one replaces the other. It's saying that actually cooperatively or in a combined sense, they can make things better. Absolutely. And you may need, need less medication. There was some, there was even some information, some research I read that People, I think it was done in the US where people were given um, their music, their favorite music playlists whilst they were recovering from operations and on pain relief. And those with their favorite music used 50% of the pain relief medication by self, self-medication and then those who were not listening to their own favorite music. Correct. I think I read that same study. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. I mean, it's just, I, you just say, well, why aren't we doing this, guys? You know, uh, come on. <laughs> so we're going to take a short break on Senior Straight Talk, and we'll be right back to continue, continue this wonderful discussion with Gordon Anderson, who's joined me from the UK, and we'll continue talking about memory tracks. So we'll be right back. Sure. 
Phyllis Amon, owner of Phyllis Amon Associates, provides strategic solutions to families seeking care for their loved ones and coaches them to become more effective advocates. Her expertise comes from working in over 45 nursing homes. Phyllis, known for her passion, empathy, high-quality care standards, and quality life for older adults, is an experienced educator, speaker, and trainer. She's bridged the gap from healthcare to public and private sector businesses on topics from communication, caregiving, empathy, and novel approaches to team building and leadership. All of Community Services is a 501c3 that provides culturally appropriate services to seniors, their family, and the community. Through their interactive programs, Olive engages participants physically and mentally with a focus on building strength, mobility, and mental health. To learn more, get involved, or make a donation, visit olivecs.org. Together, let's live, learn, and thrive. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are tuned in to Senior Straight Talk with Phyllis Heyman. If you'd like to leave us a question or comment about our program, please feel free to email the host at phyllis at seniorstraighttalk.com. Now back to Senior Straight Talk. Welcome back to Senior Straight Talk. I'm here with Gordon Anderson all the way from the UK. We're having a wonderful conversation about his latest innovation, which is memory tracks, and it's fascinating. And I, we're talking about how music is so important for people's lives and can help them from so many different ways in terms of calming people when they're agitated, whether they have dementia or not, and also how that can help the caregiver. Um, and this obviously is not only for people in care homes, but people in their own homes. So, you know, Gordon, I want to talk a little bit about the accessibility of this. I know it's in the infant stages, but, you know, let's talk about how you anticipate it growing. And since it's an app, obviously it's worldwide. So, you know, let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I think that's a really important point. I wanted the whole goal about Memory Track was to make it accessible for anybody. Uh, I mean, we talked earlier on about building in the different um, sort of music collections for different people of different cultures. Now, we haven't gone there yet, but that's one of the things we want to do. But the accessibility side is very important. So we wanted to make an app, wanted to make an app which anybody could use, which was intuitive and simple. And we're on that journey. I mean, I think, we, we, you know, I, as, a de- as a developer, I know that, you know, you have to be realistic. You never get perfection, but you keep working towards it. Um, so having the app available on both Apple and on Google as well. So it's in the app stores in the U.S., um, under memory tracks. And um, I mean, I would have to say that, that, it, that there's a free trial. We do have to, we do charge for it in the end. It's, uh, it's, a, it's quite a low cost on a monthly basis. But um, in order to pay for the music licenses, we, we, we charge a fee. And but what is the fee? The fee is $8.99, $8.99 a month. Okay. And um, that, you know, as long as you wish to keep it, that's $8.99 a month. And that just, you pay that through your Apple app store or through the Google Play store and uh, just carries on recurring billing, they call it, I think. But there is a 30-day free trial, so you can try it as much as you like, play as many songs as you like. There's a radio station on there which plays all the songs sequentially, randomly. There are 60 sing-along songs on there. um, And I purposely put some... 
uh, more American uh, or more US historical songs in there for, for people to sing along in the US when we, we launched in the US. Um, and, and you can actually also, if you're a caregiver, you, there's an unlimited number of profiles. So if you have, if you're, if you're uh, a, a care visitor or you live working in a care home, you may have 20 people that you want to build um, a selection of memory tracks for. You can have all those 20 people as individuals in your database. You just click their name and their music is available straight away. So it's not just accessibility from the point of view of being able to get the app, but accessibility to the music you need when you've got the app. I think that's the important thing, reusability, you might call it. So I'm thinking that um, it doesn't really have to be each individual person, let's say resident, mm-hmm. um, yes. in a care home um, that has the app. But it could be, I'm thinking, that if a uh, a care home facility, whatever you want to call it, let's say had, um, you know, a, um, a device and that where they had the app on, let's say two or three devices, mm-hmm. let's say they have four, let's say they have four uh, certified nurse aides taking care of however many people and each of those aides had the app or had a device with the app, when they went to care for that particular person, they could access the music for that particular activity. Correct. Is that correct? Yeah, so they would open the app uh, and on the, the profile button, just put the profile and choose the name. It could be Tom, Jane, Whoever. anybody down there. Just click on that name. It goes straight to that person's homepage and their songs are on that page. So... so in a way, it is like personalized music. In a way, well, in a way, it is. It's it's yeah. Sure. It's kind of yeah. Correct. Yes, it is. It's as personalized in that respect as you. you we've 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 curated the songs for that individual based on their year of birth. Yeah. So that's that's a that would be very helpful in um mm. in any in any care environment. Like you say, I have long said. Um, as a matter of fact, several years ago, I had the opportunity to visit a, a nursing home. It was a distance from where I lived, but I knew uh, one of the people at the higher level of the organization. And he told me that one of his administrators had really introduced the idea of uh, the new kind of this new way of, of having a memory care unit. And um, he was telling me some of the things which really sounded terrific. And I asked him if I could go see it. And he said, yes. So I went to see it. I needed a lot of improvement, but okay. It, it was a start. It was definitely a start in, a, in the right direction. But this is what I asked the administrator at the time. He's no longer the administrator there. And um, I said, so let me ask you this question. Um, if somebody, if you're short staffed or somebody, do you have designated staff for this unit? He said, yes, that are trained for this unit. Yes. Okay, great. Well, what happens if somebody doesn't show up or somebody's on vacation or somebody's sick? Do you rotate somebody in from another part of the building? Now I knew the answer. The answer was going to be yes. That's obvious, right? Or you're going to call an agency and say, that's just, I knew the answer to that question. Okay, so here was my next question. So how does that person know about that person they're taking care of? 
how do they know if Marge always needs to wear her red sweater at lunchtime? Or if Frank only likes strawberry ice cream, how do they know that information? Well, obviously they don't know that information, Mm -hmm. right? So I had suggested creating some kind of book, not necessarily a memory book. You don't have to call it a memory book, but some kind of book like a getting to know me book or all Mm. of these books and have all of this information so that if somebody who didn't know this person went, let's say to get Marge ready for lunch and Marge didn't have her red sweater and therefore didn't know how to express that she needed or wanted her red sweater or felt most comfortable with her red sweater and she started behaving in a certain way. Well, maybe even before that, they could look through the book and say, you know, lunch, you know, Marge needs a red sweater or where's, you know, red sweater. Yeah, yeah. And then that would eliminate a lot of that negativity, that negative interaction before someone goes and says the person is uncooperative, they're acting out, they report it to a nurse or reports it to a doctor and a whole other set of responses that occur as mm-hmm. a So without going into the details of what that might be. So um, I'm thinking that this would, you know, this would kind of go along that same line. You know, I mean, it would be so easy for any person to hit Marge and know which selections would be appropriate for Marge in these circumstances. Yeah. And what what the app does is it connects um, a piece of music for Marge to an activity so there's a piece of music and it's not it's not it's not defined that it has to be this piece of music for waking up or this piece of music for washing your face or this piece of music going to the toilet but that's what we do so you're right if if another care person comes in they have that continuity right so you get that continuity of use and one of the conditions that we've thought it would work quite well is is to actually introduce it to somebody before they come into the care home so if they're still in a facility at home or in a hospital start using it there and when they move that transition is quite stressful but when they move into a care home, if there's, if there's a constant, which is that same music is being played um, when they're being cared for, then that constant can be that companion, that, that, that settling feature for them as they come into the home. And we even actually, when I was demonstrating at a show a few years ago, somebody came up and said, will this work for transition? And I said, I, I'm sorry, I don't know what transition is. And they said, oh, sorry, yes. It's when we move children from, um, from state care into into adult care, and I said, "Well, what happens is, well, we, we you know at seventeen we've got these young people and we're looking after everything that they do. They turn eighteen and we send them out into the world without anything." Right. I thought, "Oh my goodness!" I said, "But actually, if they had a companion of music, which for certain activities they did, you know, when they ate their dinner, when they went to bed, and we and they take, took that into their into the outside world." It would give them that element of continuity. And I realized that this, you know, we'd, we'd, we had something which potentially could take people through lots of different transitions, not just in, in a care home, but, but with the right music having and the right music attached to, attached to tasks or activities. Then you have this scheduling function, this security blanket, if you like, taking you from one place to another. And it's funny you said security blanket because that's what I was going to say. Uh, I- <laughs> I swear to God, I was going to say it's kind of like a security blanket, right? Um, mm. That makes you feel comfortable in certain situations, just like, you know, a, a child carries around a security blanket or wants their binky or yeah. their, 
their favorite, their favorite stuffed animal, whatever it is that makes them feel comfortable, this provides that same soothing effect. Correct. Yeah, correct. That's a really powerful part of it. Yeah, I think it, I think it could be tremendous. And, and thinking about that, even, you know, I think it would be a wonderful thing. I mean, I, I know Dan talks about personal playlists and personal music mm. and, and, and if people use that even more in, in the home and then if people had to go to the hospital, I mean, it makes such a, it, it's, it's so comforting, but this is, I, I'm not saying it's more accessible, but it's kind of easier to travel with in a way. Yes, I think that's correct. And I, I think that as, as, as we become perhaps understanding our users better and we understand what the needs are better as we, as we serve more and more people and get their feedback, we may find that we need to combine what Dan's done and what we've done. You know, we will maybe need to, you know, it may be an advantage to have different levels of entry, not, 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 you know, not by choice. So you can have it on this surface where the, where the app chooses the songs for you right? for people who don't know the people very well, but also another layer that you can go into where you can make your universal selection uh, of songs it, and have those sort of two points. Sorry, not to interrupt you. It's part, funny you say that because when I first saw it and heard about it, I did ask Dan about that. I said, isn't there a way to integrate this? As <laughs> I already saw how... You're already there. How yeah. it's a great, it could be a great marriage. Yes, it could. It could indeed. And I think the, the interesting thing that I've found, I mean, I, I was originally in the music business a long time ago um, uh, and, and I'm sort of coming back into it. But music rights are not an easy journey. Correct. And, and, and I think, you know, I've always been aware that what we're doing, or what I'm trying to do, perhaps, is partly because I'm willing to take that risk right. <laughs> and I'm willing to go down that route. And go in, not go into battle, that's not the right word to use, but to, to come up against the, the licensees. Um, as I say, we're a fully licensed product, but we've done it by we've done it step by step. So we're licensing very old songs, um, which is easier right. than the new songs. Right. Um, and we're doing it step by step. But I think that's the journey we're going along. And I think what we're doing at the moment with memory tracks is a, in a way is is trying to is to prove through the research we do and through the people we work with and the pilots we do to prove that it is effective, to prove that it's a useful tool. And by doing so, building up an efficacy, uh, uh, an authenticity that we can then um, uh, take back into the music licensing situation and say, look, come on, guys, this is, this is, this is good. This is a good use of you. We're paying for it anyway, but this is a good use of your music. This is a good use of this resource. Help us make it better help us through cooperation, make it deeper and, and, and more effective. So something else that just came to my mind as we're talking is the age, the, the years of the songs that you collect are going to have to change as, yes, yes. as, um, as the app is going to be used by different yeah. age demographics. Correct. I know it's an interesting, uh, it's, that's a lovely part of it in some ways. It's a, um, you know, we have good reasons to update it every year with a new year, a new year. A new right, year exactly. Of it's like, it's like when you, um, I don't know if you have that in the UK, but here, if you go into a store, let's say to buy, I think it's cigarette, liquor, whatever they have. If you were born before this, this day. Of this oh, year, yes, there we go. Yeah. yeah. Eligible, whatever. So this is kind of the same thing. If you were yeah. born between this year and this year, this is, 
it, maybe there would be different sections. If you were born between this year and this year, you know, these are your selections. Maybe if you were born between this year and this year. So, you know, maybe there would be different levels based on different decades or something. There could be. There could be. I mean, at the moment, as I say, we go from 1927 up to 1963. So that's a 35-year a, a period. Oh, sorry, 36-year period. I can't remember. 36-year period. Um, and... I think if you think about it, that covers people up. I think it covers people up to about 60, from 65 upwards. So, oh, maybe younger than that, actually. But anyway, um, roughly that age. Um, 63, right? So it would be like, it would be like 58 upwards. Yeah, yeah. Some, I, okay, I'm doing it based on the count. 58, but, but, but actually we, we do it from 3 to 12. So, so actually you'd need to be, yeah, you'd need to be in your early 60s, I think. Right. Yeah, early so, 60s. So, um, my, my, um, so here's another thing, okay? Um, as I told you that my first dream was to be a concert pianist and I studied classical piano for 12 and a half years. So the interesting thing is during those years, I didn't listen to very many of those songs, believe it or mm. not. I mm. only really listened to classical music. As a matter of fact, I hate to really admit this, but when the Beatles came out, I was like, I didn't really get it mm. because I was just very focused on what I was yeah. doing. That, that's yeah. just, it wasn't until I went to college, which was really only a few years later, I went to college fairly young, that I started to really appreciate really that body of work and the harmonies and the words and the ideas and all of that. Um, so let's say if it was somebody like me, um, you know, there might not be so many of those songs that I, that I would, that would be helpful to me. Maybe I discovered some other songs later on. How do you kind of um, address that issue? Uh, I, yeah, yeah, no, I think it is clear, actually, because we, we, in, in, in when we did our research, um, I remember a lady um, saying to me that she didn't, she didn't think the music would work for her. Um, and I did find a couple of, she was very much into the blues. She was a real blues um, fan. I did find a few tracks on, on, on that, that worked for her and she enjoyed. Um, but I think, I, I, I think that there are limitations to what we can do. Um, and I think that's, again, as I said, there's a, this, potentially this restriction to 360 songs can sometimes help as well as hinder. The, right. the, the limit, limitation of choice makes it easier for people to, to get to where they need to be. Um, I think that there are people that don't, this won't cover. And I think that we have to accept that. Right. If, if, if somebody hasn't engaged with those songs during those ages of 3 to 12, they've been doing something completely different. Like you, you said, if they were from a different uh, community from the other side of the world, it wouldn't mean anything to. Yeah. And then we accept that we don't cover that yet. I think what we've what we've all, what I've always said is let's let's go for as many people as we can with as with as 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 as, as, uh, as rich an experience as possible. But if we try and cover everybody, we're going to fall over. Well, that's true. So, uh, that's so I, uh, right. yeah, and I think I think you know I understand there are limitations. I think what we want to do is to work with users over the next few years to say, well, how can we how can we make it richer for more people? Right. Um, you know, and, and how do we grow this? And that's that's a very good point, is how do we make the music, the range of music slightly broader to bring in more people who may not have been mainstream in their music choice. Right. Um, or may not have been listening to mainstream radio stations at their mother's knee, you know. And I think, or their, you know, their parents weren't humming along to the biggest hits at the time. Right. right. Because that's how we experience music when we're babies and children. You know, we, we hear... 
we hear it in the car, we hear it in the in the kitchen, we hear our parents singing it, and that's why it's so important to us. That's why it, that's why it's so deeply um, embedded into our brains. Absolutely, absolutely. My mother, uh, she loves opera, so ah. I used to listen to opera a lot when I was younger. Um, and my next door neighbor, uh, where I'd spend a lot of time, you know, I called them aunt and uncle. It, you know, that's how it mm, was. Yeah. Yeah. They weren't relatives, but that's how it was. And um, he loved Nat King Cole. Mm. So I have many, many records, you know, LPs of Nat King Cole from the very beginning, because when um, at some point, I think he gave me some of them. So wonderful. What a voice. What a, a voice. Talk about a juxtaposition. Um, mm. Classical music and Nat King Cole, right? Um, yeah. But though, and those are my, you know, earliest music memories. Yeah, yeah. So, no, it's it's amazing how rich they can be. In my mind, you know, I I, I did the when we started doing them on this journey. I got a group of, of older people together and played them a whole list of songs, just to check whether my assumption that people would recognize music when they were very young came true. And it did. I mean, they, they became a competition between these people about who could recognize it first and who could start singing along. And they hadn't heard many of these songs for 60 years. Um, it's an extraordinary experience. a wonderful, wonderful time that was going through that process. Um, but I did it to myself as well. And I think it's a useful thing for us all to do. It's, it's always interesting, whether it's useful or not. It's interesting to go back and look at the charts of the songs. You can do it now online and listen to those songs when you were one, two, three years old. What was number one in the US when I was two or one? And it's amazing. I could... I went to my birthday, my third birthday, and the top 10 in the UK, all but one of them I could sing. Oh, so this is an interesting thing because Dan and I have talked about this um, in terms of uh, when he talked about memory and playlists and all of this. And an example that I have always used from a, a speech perspective is that you can have people who can no longer speak because they had a stroke or you know, some other insults happen mm -hmm. to their brain, but they could count from one to 10. They could say the day. We call it automatic speech. Autom well, automatic serial speech if it's days of the week, months of the year. Um, but then people can um, say the Lord's Prayer or sing the Star Spangled Banner or say things that are familiar um, because it's so embedded in there. In their yeah. So uh, interestingly enough, um, I have used as an example and suggested to people because there was a, a, a show here many years ago. What was it called? Uh, not what's not what's my line. That was a different show. Um, it was about um, they would play the first few notes of a song. Yes. And whoever mm. could guess it, some people could do it in one note. It was really quite amazing. Mm. Uh, name that tune. That was called Name That Tune. Name That Tune. Yeah. And, um, what I say is, if somebody gave me a song, um, the name of a song, and said, tell me the words or sing it, I might not be able to do it. But if I hear it, mm. melody, before you know it, I will have sung the entire song, maybe miss a word here or two, there, here or there, maybe not. And then say, oh, my God, I didn't even know I knew the words to that song. Yeah, it's, I know. Isn't that so frequent? It's on that part of your brain where the memory is paired with the words. There's a, there's a, can I tell you a very interesting moment 
Right. Very, yeah, very interesting moment in our research, um, which we did, we did in North Wales, which is part of the United Kingdom. And um, uh, we did there, and there was a wonderful old lady, and um, I, she had a problem with her... She, it took two people to get her dressed. She, so she had a problem with being dressed. She had an incontinence issue, um, but also she couldn't feed herself. And then we, we her, her carer, a major carer, Becky, was a wonderful young girl who's unfortunately left the industry, which is a real shame, as we often happens in this country. Um, and and there's I guess too as well. And she she really took it on herself to try and use memory tracks to help uh, help this lady. Um, and and she did. I mean, for for once, for one thing, uh, she only took her to dress her after that. She'd play the music, and she was much calmer when she was being dressed, so she didn't get agitated. She didn't get she, she didn't get upset. So she could dress her on her own. She somehow found a way to support her incontinence. She, when she needed to go to the toilet, she must have felt uncomfortable, and she used to touch the device. She'd touch the device we were using, or touch the tablet device, and they would take her to the toilet. And she'd associated the device and the music with releasing that uh, discomfort. Right. So she, she hadn't got to the point because she couldn't understand the discomfort didn't mean she needed to go to the toilet. So she didn't ask, but she thought, actually, when I touch the device, I'm taken to the toilet and this problem goes away. So that's what she started to do. But the most amazing point was she started to be able to feed herself. So we've got videos. We weren't allowed to be there and there's some you know, privacy and everything, but we've got some videos of, of, uh, of Becky sitting in front of her soup or her dinner, two different videos. And she would say, okay, this is your, this is your soup. You put, you put your spoon in and start eating the soup. And so she'd go, okay, put the music on. And she'd just do that, eat. And the other thing with the one of feeding, she'd just say, well, where do I start? So that was the question, where do I start? Right. And you'd put the knife and fork in her hands and just say, well, start with the meat. So she'd start cutting the meat and she'd eat. She'd finish the plate. Hmm. And I said, what did you do beforehand? And Becky said, you just, just, just spin the plate, just spin the plate. Didn't know where to start, didn't know what to do. And then I asked the neurologist, our neurologist, and said, well, what, what do you think is going on here? And, and, and talking to the point you were making, Phyllis, he said, well, the music is satisfying her confused mind, her disturbed brain, her brain which is damaged. It's satisfying that and distracting that sufficiently that the automatic, the automatic brain is taking over. Correct. And the automatic brain has been feeding herself for 65 years, 70 right. years. So that whilst this confused brain is distract, distracted by this music, the, 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 you know, the automatic brain is taking over and feeding itself. And it was, I thought, my goodness, if we could do that, if we can, if we can find a way of satisfying this, this, this damaged brain and allowing those normal functions to carry on, that would be wonderful. Absolutely. And, and that's what, um, because we don't think, people don't even realize how much they do every day that's automatic. Yeah, absolutely. I know. Uh, now, from, from my professional perspective as a speech and language pathologist who works with people that had difficulty chewing and swallowing, not only people who don't remember, but people for other physiologic or physical reasons or things that have happened to them. Um, and they'll tell me, well, you know, I, I, I've been eating this way my entire life. I said, I, I get that. I know that because it's automatic. We, we're doing these things automatically, but I'm, try, I'm, I'm trying to teach you a strategy to help you do this in a way that's safer for the condition that you have now. 
But because you've been doing this automatically this way all these years, it's like breaking a habit. Mm. And unfortunately, this takes practice, breaking any habit. But the re- ju- it's just what you say. So, many, so much of what we do is so automatic. And I always give this example. Like I have this gap in one of my teeth, uh, in between two teeth on one side of my mouth. And I usually chew on that side of my mouth. And I, it's invariably, I put the food in my mouth and I have to remember to tell myself to move it to the other side mm. of my mouth because that's just automatic. It takes a presence. It takes being present. But so much of we we don't think about how we have to brush our teeth. We don't think about how we have to take out the toothpaste and un, un, mm-hmm. you know, the top and put the tooth. We don't think about all of those are routine automatic steps. But now if you have an issue in your brain that has not allowed you to do those steps automatically, you don't remember how to. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, 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 and when you see it happen, as you, I'm sure you have as well, because when you see it happen in real life and you see it change somebody's life, and not just the lady who was benefiting, but her care, caregivers were so right. pleased and happy and, and they got such great, um, there's it, it, an interesting point. They got that satisfaction of knowing that they'd, they'd been able to help somebody. And there's an interesting, um, uh, another piece of research that we're going to be doing in, um, we hope we're just applying for the funding now in the NHS in Portsmouth, which is a big city on the south of south coast of England, is in six wards of about 28, 30, 30 people of seeing what impact we can have using music in those acute medical wards for older people. And we'll do that next year, I hope. But one of the things we're hoping to explore is called uh, moral injury. A moral injury is the impact of care on the caregiver themselves i love and that the, i know it's amazing it came from actually the the, the, the army and, and and from uh, yes that's yeah that's yeah. right uh, it came from there but it's it's, it's about and it's pretty, pretty evident during covid for caregivers as well it's when they're not able to fulfill what they think they need to apply to as far as care is concerned so if you're not able to save somebody you're not able to give them the care you would normally wish to give them you are actually injured right. morally in yourself. Right. And this is a real problem in burnout with caregivers right. um, because they feel that they can't support the people they're supposed to be caring for in a way that they are supposed to be doing so. Right, or want to, correct. Or want to. So we're, we're thinking about putting that measure in as well to see if we can improve on that moral injury measure to see if actually the provision of music and the response from the people they're caring for to that music, which is often a positive response or a more relaxing response, whether that actually has a beneficial effect on lowering the level of moral injury. Oh, I'm, I'm sure it does. It, a moral injury is a form of PTSD. It's another way correct, of- Correct, correct. Yes, yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All very so, fascinating. So, All very Yeah, and it is really interesting. And, and, and you know, we, we, we're going to try and pioneer as much of this research as we can. Um, but yeah, it, and, and but I think that the most important research we do, most important from that point, is, is how the caregivers feel in those hospital wards. And I think it's the same in the care homes we work with. It's how do the caregivers feel? How do the families of the people, the residents feel? Um, what's the atmosphere within the home? How can we change that? How can we? I mean, you, you mentioned when we were in the break about the wonderful um, 
way of bringing nature and life and, and, and animals and so on into a home and the positive effect that can have. And I think that I agree completely with that. And maybe we can use music as another form, you know, with lots of sort of holistic approach to bringing, to making care homes and care places much more, um, you know, much more natural, much more life-giving, much happier, much more relaxing. And I think that's the goal. That's what we should be looking for. You know, it's interesting. Um, so there was a study that uh, I had read and I wrote about it. I think it was not in this book, the one before, about uh, they had plants that they put in residents' rooms. And one group of residents had to take care of the plants. And the other group of residents, the caregivers or whomever, came in and watered and took care of the plants. And what they found over time was the people who took care of the plants became more social, came out mm. of became more communicative because they had something to care for. They had a purpose. So I was in a building recently doing some coverage and I noticed, and I don't see this in many buildings, but a lot of the rooms had beautiful plants. There was one plant in one room. I said, gee, I really would love to take that. <laughs> it was just magnificent. But anyway, I asked some of the people who takes care of the plants. They said, well, people come in and water the plants. I, I didn't say anything. I was only covering there for a few days. But the, I went to see this one woman. She was really rather confused lady. Didn't say much, very quiet. And um, there were some plants, but they were kind of spread out on her windowsill. And she had a, a, a room with a, you know, a sunny, sunny window. And so I kind of brought them to the center. And all of a sudden she said to me, I said, oh, this is a pretty plant. She said, I wonder if it needs water. Mm. She immediately made a connection to yeah. life, to purpose, to something. And I bet nobody would know that she would even think of saying such a thing because nobody really, all I did was move the plants around. Yeah, yeah. I know. It's that it, it, often we just, I think it goes back to this process of care homes just going through their systems and their processes. And I understand why they do that, I completely do. But it's those moments of, as, as you just expressed there, that little moment when you when you connect with somebody and, and present a situation that they can come back to you on. And that idea, I wonder if it needs any water, is such a wonderful opening. Correct. And it's those openings that we, we often ignore and, and we don't see. Um, if we're in those sort of work routines and just thinking, when's my next coffee break? And, you know, what am I going to have for dinner tonight? You know, which I understand, you know, we all, but we need to get out of that and say, who am I with here? What are they feeling? Um, and is there any way I can interact with them right. on any level? Right, exactly. And, and, to, and to how, can I bring, how can I bring them into this environment and, yeah, and have them be part of this environment? That plant in that moment, that, that woman was relating to the environment, something in her room. And um, I, I've told this story before uh, to somebody, at, at least one person, I think. I, I was doing some um, analysis of a, a program in a building several about a year or so ago. And they were telling me about this one woman who kept getting up and down her chair and mm -hmm. up and chair. And what a problem it was, and, and somebody, uh, in, I was having a conversation, and they said they think she used to uh, tend to her garden a lot, and that's why she was always getting up and down. I said, oh, well, I have a great idea for you. How about if you have her go, there were, there were plants in different areas in this building, 
why don't you have somebody go with her and have her water these plants mm. or put some of the plants on a windowsill that's higher up and have her stand up and water those plants and maybe go to another place and water those plants. And that might satisfy, you know, that need to keep getting up and down and you don't have to worry about her falling. Somebody could go with her. They never did it. And it's such a simple thing. Such a shame. No money. It's really mm. no money. Um, it's not like I was asking anybody to spend anything on any, on spend any money on anything. And some of these things, I, I think it is because, like you say, it's very task oriented. It doesn't matter if it's in the UK or in the United States. But if somebody presents an idea, you know, it would be great if people found a way to incorporate some of these things and want to see the benefit of it. Mm-hmm. It helps everything the caregivers it helps the environment it helps the resident it, it just has a tremendous positive effect all the way around yeah, very much so very much so but i agree it is it's that it's that um uh what we call it we call it um, friction the friction in in, in in built-in systems that's what we're trying to overcome all the time when we make changes even if they're positive changes there's always that friction you need to push past right exactly. Um, exactly. Um, so that's always a challenge well, Gordon, but, uh, this has just been absolutely terrific. So is there anything you want to tell uh, the listeners about how they can access memory tracks or about getting in touch with you or if there's a website or any information that you want to provide? Certainly, please. Yes. Well, the app, the apps are the app, which is memory tracks is available on the Apple App Store and the Google Play Store. Um, my details are on our website, which is uh, memorytracks.co.uk. So it's a UK site, but accessible anywhere in the world and so you can contact me for, through that site um, and I'd be and what I really love is any kind of feedback that anybody has positive negative whatever it is I'm, I'm a lover of feedback I want to be able to um, support people using this app but I also want to support the people who want to help me make it better um, so if you have any feedback any ideas any ways that I can work within help you work, even from the UK, with wonderful Zoom nowadays, if I can help you work with the app, with your staff and with your residents, I would love to do so. Well, all right. so. I'm going to mention it to uh, several people that I know in the industry and see where we can take it because I think it's fantastic. That's lovely. Thank you very much for this. The star. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for generously sharing your time on Senior Straight Talk. I mean, it's just been a thoroughly enjoyable conversation. I'm thrilled to talk to somebody from the other side of the Atlantic. So this has really been a special treat for me as well. So please join me next time on the next episode of Senior Straight Talk for more informative conversations for the senior years of our lives. And I'm Phyllis Amon signing off. Please remember to like, click and share the episodes. And until next time, stay safe, stay well and stay tuned. Thank you for listening to Senior Straight Talk. Join your host, Phyllis Amon, again soon for another episode on the Voice America Empowerment Channel or your favorite podcast platforms.